Hi guys, welcome back to My Steps to Sobriety, the show on YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host, Stefan Neff. Today is another day for a fantastic interview. And I'm very, very, uh, very privileged to have today on my show, Jody Amen. Jody is a family therapist, a YouTuber, a fellow author, and she has some very, very important insights and great knowledge when it comes to the prickly topic of how to deal with those people we really, really love. If you think about it, you, you had this little munchkin there that came out of mummy and then you were washing it the first time, then you gave the cuddles and then you had to vomit on the shoulder. And it was also cute and then they grow up and then, oh, it's also cute. And then they're even cuter and then the smile gets cute. And then suddenly, around about midnight on the day of their birthday, and they turn from 12 to 13, something happens. And you suddenly got this new beast of, of a teenager. And I've got Jody with me. And please, please, please help me, help me, because I've got two teenagers and all my friends have got teenagers. So we're all, we're all just going, ah. <laughs> and, and you have got some tips and tricks how to deal with these wonderful, wonderful beings because that's what they are they're magnificent little 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 things that that just explode out of their shell and try to find themselves and and we need to give them the guidance and it can be sometimes so challenging so jody thank you so much for coming on to my show i'm so happy to be here and you're giving me chills because i know it. i'm i'm in the trenches with you i i have one teenager left and my boys are in their 20s <laughs> has the has the frontal lobe returned in some of them? Yes, it, it's so <laughs> weird how different that is. Is when they turn, you know, when they, you know, a couple of years after they they turn twenty, all of a sudden they get grateful and they work hard. It, it is a strange thing when, they, when that, that frontal lobe, lobe comes online. It's so noticeable, <laughs> isn't it? It's strange, <laughs> and it is it is something that generations and generations and generations before us have experienced and of course we these we all parents wherever we are in the world or wherever we are in time we always tried to do the best with what we thought was true and what we thought was the best for our kids and inevitably the the, the the crazy thing is that they do exactly the opposite and and because they have to prove themselves they have to to somehow there is this evil evil oh i need to show him um and it is or show her it doesn't matter which gender i i use please guys out there don't get hung up on that uh, so i mean we all are there and i I was privileged to listen to your TEDx talk uh, in 2018, and that was a beautiful talk. And I, before we go into what you shared there and what else you can share with us, uh, how were you as a teenager? How was your teenage life? Were you the, the model girl? 
Well, I didn't break any rules really, but I was, uh, I felt it was really lonely. I felt so misunderstood. I was very anxious myself and really depressed actually. And um, yeah, it was a really, really sad time. I felt left out. I felt like, you know, the, um, the other kids in my school were actually even before high school, before I was in high school, I was pretty badly bullied. I think that's kind of how it all starts, isn't it? And so it was a really sad time for me, but I did a lot of volunteering. And I think that it came out of that hurt place to do something for somebody else or to kind of create or make my life somehow. And so that's how I did it. I worked for when I was 14 and I volunteered and in connecting with people and helping other people during their sadness, I felt transformed by it. And I think that's why I went to therapy actually, right? It comes from our own crisis. And then you, you kind of want to give back once you figure it out yourself. Which is beautiful, isn't it? I mean, that is such a powerful, powerful position. And virtually every guest that I've got on this show is sharing the same trait to have been in very hard times and has come out the other end a stronger person. But that typically is a long and arduous journey. And um, it is when you're in the middle of that journey, when you're in the middle of the hard times, it's sometimes so hard to actually yeah, deal with it and see. Right, see a light see. at the end. It's hard exactly. to see. Isn't it? When you were uh, bullied, where where did you grow up? In which part? Where, was that in the States or was that? Yes, I'm in the States. I'm in uh, Rochester, New York. So it's upstate New York in mm. the in the western side. Mm. Yeah, in a, in a suburb. And yeah, just went to school like, you know, normal, mm. in normal American school, if you could call anything normal these days. But yeah, so it just was, I probably was like the boy liked me and then was overcompensating to so being really mean, like those kind of things. At I, that was about to, I was about to say, what, what made you the victim? What, with yeah, hindsight. I mean, I guess so. And then I had this best friend who was kind of tough and, and she um, was out sick for several weeks or something. And so they just didn't, these boys didn't know what, you know, I, I think it's like, you, you feel really out of control. I mean, you start to like girl, I, I'm not saying that they liked me. I'm just saying that I could see this pattern. I've seen it with my clients for the last 20 years, how this happens <laughs> is that when boys start to like girls, but in vice versa, but they feel there, there's a lot of bullying that happens during that time. Um, because they don't want anyone to know. And so there's, <clears throat> they could get quite mean. I guess girls could be the same way. It could be all, all genders. And that was just my experience when I was yeah. young. But yeah, you know, really fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, they were pretty mean to me. Huh. And that's the bizarre thing. I still can't figure that out because virtually every guest shares the same story, um, bullying at school. And you yeah. think, what is going on in our schools? Now, was I bullied? Yes, I was. When I was, that was really our uh, third, fourth grade. Um, I was constantly beaten up, and that was that was bizarre. And I was so young, I can't. I, I don't think that I was an idiot at that stage. I was far too young to be an idiot. Um, so I think this was just something mean happening. But that was, I guess, one sick individual um 
you are talking actually about later stages of your teenage years and, and, and when there is actually far more a consciousness within the person. And that's, that same time frame applies to many of my guests. So therefore, there is something seriously wrong there. I, I think when we feel out of control, and this is why, you know, I I wrote a book for teenagers because teenagers are feeling increasingly out of control. And there's yeah. some reasons why that's, you know, I, I went over them in my TEDx Wilmington talk, and we'll probably talk about them today. Yes, please. But the, um, you know, there's I mean, let's, let's talk about that exactly right now. I mean, okay, why, do, why do you think that this is happening? Why do you, do you think it is happening now more? But equally, if you if I look at the experiences of all my guests, then it must have been there. Um, it must be sort of a trait, particularly in the America, in, in American states, uh, maybe more so than yeah, overseas. perhaps because it's it's really a product of West Western culture, yeah. right? Because we we really have these high standards that we have to measure up to, and we're always finding ourselves inadequate, and that makes us feel out of control. It increases our anxiety, and then we try to get control. So we either control ourselves, mm -hmm. you know, or we try to control somebody else, mm -hmm. and that's why bullying is happens a lot. I mean, it it happens other places as well, but this this concept of you know, when we're doing this comparison all the time and thinking that we have to be a perfect uh, look and cool enough and smart enough and rich enough and fit in and all this, there's all of these standards and expectations that we put ourselves under and they're unrealistic. So we're always inadequate, but it's increasing. And what makes it increase right now is our commercialism because we're constantly getting the message that, you know, you deserve stuff just for being you. And so that, that sets a pressure on us that we're supposed to be worthy of this stuff. You know, I don't know. And so we really, it just, it's, it's, we have a deficit culture from that, that we're always without, or we're always not good enough, or we always don't have what we need to have, or we don't get stuff done. And that is really a focus and we're, it's ingrained in our, our culture. And yes, it was like that when I was young, but it's definitely a lot worse. Mm. You know, if you think about how you were young and yeah, people had anxiety and people were bullying and, you know, but now there is a total shift in like ideas of work ethic or any kind of trust in themselves. Um, kids are highly adaptable and they have tons of skills, but they don't know it. Like they're just disconnected with their skills. And that's from our culture has disconnected with our, us with our skills. When we're so focused on all the deficits, we disconnect with what we can do, what we are able to do, what our talents are, our problem solving skills, like all of that we have, but we don't know we have it. And that's, I think the biggest problem with teens right now. That makes perfect sense. And I guess I, I, I can actually follow that line of thought and I follow it with a shudder down my spine because I, I hold a very high yardstick to, my, to myself. I like to be the best person that I can be and I can be an intense guy. So therefore, if now my kids are, are trying to compare and trying to to do everything right i can see that that this is a tall order and that, that maybe there's too much pushing uh going on having said that i think the pushing is all around them 
the, the sense of them feeling powerless and feeling feeling hopeless because there's so much pressure all around them, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And I think the shift is like for us, when we feel inadequate, we work really hard mm. to try to be worthy. And I think there's still some kids who are like that. They work extra hard to be perfectionists mm. and do that. But also we're seeing a trend with young people who just give up trying right? Because, and that's what we didn't do as much. I mean, like the percentage is shifting a little bit and there's more people just giving up. The pressures are too big and it's not like, I'll show you. Mm. It's, it's like, why bother Mm. is the, is the newest thing. And, and that's increasing people's anxiety because then they're completely powerless and helpless. Very true. Very true. Yeah. And it's a mindset thing. They're not really powerless. It's, they think that they are. What do you do when you have got, what about, may I ask a personal question? What about your teenagers? How, how did they manifest? Here you, you're treating uh, families for 20 years, uh, probably now a bit, 20, you must be coming up a quarter of a century of experience and of work with clients. And uh, that's a lot of clients. But mm-hmm. then when it comes to you at home, and to your own teenagers, they will do, you know, they show the same traits. And um, are, there, are there moments that your teenagers looked at you and said, don't like psychologize me? <laughs> when they recognize oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes, they say that. Stop therapizing me. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Exactly right. Yeah. And, you know, it's just like, and then they're like, you you don't know how to make me feel better, you know. Like when kids are upset, they'll say anything, right? So I mean that that you know, it's like it's surprising how you make me feel worse. Like the, it's just kids and parents kind of thing. But yeah. you know, it, it definitely prepared me a little bit more. But nothing really prepares you for parenting, right? Because mm-hmm. all kids are different, so it's not like you just do the same thing with each kid. And and so we're guessing all the time, even though I've been a parent for twenty eight years, like. I am still guessing when the next problem comes up (laughs) because they need something different. There's a different context. Their head is different. Everything's different. Right. And so, so my daughter, so, you know, we're in this pandemic. And so my daughter is, uh, it's hard for people to be motivated. I've been speaking about this a lot on these interviews is that people are tired. They're feeling really unmotivated right now. And I think it's because the lack of activity. So like, you're, you're a doctor, so you tell me, but like, it seems like there's a bit of lack of dopamine triggering off and it makes them not care about triggering their dopamine off. And it's hard for them to kind of motivate and move. There's a heaviness of this isolation that they're experiencing. This is what I noticed. And so, um, so kids have to do stuff and then they'll want to do it. But everybody wants to do stuff. They're like, but I don't feel like doing it. Well, you're not going to feel like doing it till after you did it. You know, it's like a different way to think about how we do stuff. So my daughter's like, I, I didn't get anything done. And she's like all spiraling into the negativity. And she's like, I didn't get anything done. And I'm like, get up and start doing something. Don't sit here and, you know, rant about it and then spiral more. Like when you're feeling like this, as soon as you start feeling like this, get up and go, you know, put something away or, you know, start to move to get yourself out of it. And that then you'll want to, like, you don't want to do it. My son's the same way. He's like, I just don't feel like, you know, lifting weights or working out again. And I'm like, I think you have to do it before you want to. (laughs) 
out of interest on the TEDx talk, uh, close to the end, suddenly this young teenager uh, jumps out and is brushing brushing the, the carpet behind you. Uh, that was your daughter, wasn't it? Yes, yeah, that was <laughs> Hey, how how did you get her to do that? I mean, this is when I when I do anything that is a little bit public, and I ask my mm-hmm. my boys, hey, can you give me a hand, for example, filming or even holding a light or something like that. Yeah, my kids won't even do social media for me. Ah, Just just follow people and they'll follow me back. Like, you don't don't have to even write anything. Um, Yeah, I know. So so same thing. Oh, I'm so pleased. I'm I'm so pleased that you always think for crying out loud here. I always think I'm a failure as a parent because I'm- No, no, they don't want to help your stuff. (laughs) You know, and I, you know, because I write about anxiety. So actually my daughter was in the- book trailer for the video for the book um and it's about teenagers so you know she's really sensitive if she's in she's an actress so wouldn't you think that Uh, she'd want to be in my videos right but um you know they they just don't even get hooked there's so much stigma they don't even want to get hooked with the word anxiety I'm like all kids have it and in my in my book trailer video I had a bunch of teenagers talk about what pressures Mm. teens are under today And not necessarily their own experience because I didn't want them to have to disclose if they didn't want to. I wanted them to send me videos. So, um, but but still, I think it's there's something different when it's your mom. But yeah, it's um, it is a, it's an interesting thing. So she, the way I got her to do that though, she was a little bit young, so she was uh, 14. So she's just you know if she was a little, if she's if it was this year, I don't know if she would do it. <laughs> but it's also kind of exciting when you're 14 to be on a TEDx Wilmington stage, you know, yeah. uh, it's a really powerful uh, TEDx venue. Uh-huh. And um, yeah, so she on her resume says she's a TEDx speaker, because if she's on stage, she had a sign that she was a speaker. And so uh-huh. as an actress, it's kind of looks good. So oh, wow. Cool. So I think that that helped that there was something and <laughs> I, I, you know, in the video though, you, I didn't, I don't think I warned the camera people. So they weren't in the expanded. I thought they have oh. all the videos and they do it later, sure, sure. but you could see that, that all of a sudden they realized that something's going on and went to the widescreen. And, and so it, she was a little bit missed. I know. I know. Having said that, having said that it was just such a quirky, a little thing to do. Uh, well done. Well done. Talk about hooking the audience. Come on. Yeah. There was the laughter going through. Yeah, it was perfect. What you yeah, did she just was like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> like so. And she went like this. Hey, that's right. <laughs> like exactly. Really sarcastically. Ex- exactly. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> Oh dear, Jody, um, dear uh, Jody Amen, where is your origin from? May I ask, please? Uh, yes. yes. So, well, my my um, my um, birth name is Labazzo, Lobozzo. So it's Italian. So I'm I'm 100 Italian American, and so the second generation. Most of the most yeah. of my grandparents. Yeah. Um. my one grandfather was um from Italy. So. Is and, there? Um, is there an Italian uh, additional pressure there from from the grandparents, etc., as far as your teens are concerned? Um, no, not really. No, no, mm. they're they're pretty assimilated into the American culture, cool. and so it, we, I don't think it increased any of the um, the negative judgments that we have or the the mm. standards that we have. Maybe maybe earlier, not now. Maybe like when we were little, or you know. Mm. 
you know, or when my parents were little, definitely they were a really big part of the Italian American culture. And so that did, that did um, really form how they grew up. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't speak Italian or anything, unfortunately. So that's, that's, too bad, but I did take it that a DNA test, and I was I was like, oh, maybe I'll have something interesting. You know, I was like ninety nine point nine percent from from Italy, and the other point one or whatever it is was um was Mediterranean. Anyway, well, there so, you go. Yeah. It was the same thing. <laughs> no, 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 no. I guess the, the reason I was asking is that that it is one thing to be a teenager in America; um, it's another. Uh, completely different ballpark, at least for the teenagers, if they are the descendants of sort of first first wave of immigrants, mm-hmm. or if they literally have just arrived as foreigners, either as refugees or as as uh, commer- or, um, commercial refugees, let's call it like that, people who, who really try to come to the United States or to any other part in the world because they either have to or they want to to make a better life. And right, then you and have a bridge got, between two cultures often. Indeed. You know, they come young enough, then they're they're assimilating in, and their parents have, you know, are uh, stronger ties to their, um, you know, first country. Right, exactly. And and so that does mm. that does create a lot of unique, very unique issues. And so mm. yeah, I've had a lot of clients over the years in that kind of situation. And indeed, it's, right. Um, it, and it depends on what that culture is and some of the beliefs and values of that culture, but. Mm. Um, so that 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 afford, that you know guides those kind of conversations, but hmm. so really true. interesting, isn't it? And it is therefore, and there are nine billion people here with nine billion sets of of experiences. So not not two are the same. And whilst there might be common themes running through, it is it is so hard. So you really need to individualize each and every experience. And yeah, so sometimes it, it's it's hard for me about that because, you know, sometimes I think it's helpful because we, the biggest problem I see with our, our, with our emotional wellness is that we feel different, like we feel separate from other people. And that worries us that we won't belong then because we're different. And that is not good for our psyches because, you know, when we evolved, we evolved in a social, we're social beings as humans and not fitting in meant you die. And so our brain is still in our brain and our DNA. That's the belief. And so we're so afraid. That's why our biggest fear is abandonment or rejection is because that means death, you know, to our cells is that's what it the experience in this world now it doesn't mean death if some kids at school leave you out you know but but the anxiety about it or the the psychic uh pain or the hurt from it is is real and so um and yet listeners out there sorry listeners out there we're talking now not 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 yesterday or something like that we're talking 40 50,000 years ago when men were real men with ape skins over their shoulder right and that was a time when you could only survive when you were living in a tribe when you were living in in a community and the worst thing that could have happened to you is that you're basically thrown out of that community because that exactly meant exactly death so, so this brain evolved for two million years yeah. in hunter-gatherer times. Indeed. Indeed and it's right. only been whatever, like 2,000 years or whatever. Yeah. that, yeah. And even only in the last 100 years, in the last 50 years, we haven't been living in, you know, multi-generational families yeah. as much. So, like, think about two million years and then just the last 50 maybe. 
that yeah. we've had this like idea of individualism. Yep. And so there's part of me that you want to really be open to people's own story and experience and be able to listen to that individually and not like make assumptions about what they should be experiencing. But there's also part of me that's like, if we really, cause we feel so dead, we feel like what we're thinking is so unique and it's not. There's so many people have those same kind of negative self judgments. And so if we knew that other people felt like we would actually, it would make us feel better. Mm. And so part of me wants to really uh, celebrate the individual. And part of me is wanna, wants to really point out how we have so many things in common, mm. because I mm. think that will make us feel better. Oh, absolutely. Actually. Absolutely. And that's, and, that's again, that's yeah. a theme that is coming for all of my interviews, because the, the, it, it, there is this, this strange shame and guilt and embarrassment and and all these negative thoughts and they are all so individual at least they feel like that and it's no way that that anyone else could feel as bad as you do and because in reality it's yeah, that's all, right and, true true in, in reality so many people feel the same way exactly and that that applies to to people that you look up to guys out there your peers if you look around and say wow I really would love to be like him. If you actually take him aside for a coffee, and if he honestly opens up, you would be amazed about the the lack of self-confidence. Uh, you might look at him and say, wow, the perfect figure. Or to her, wow, she looks stunning. And she will look in the mirror in the morning and, and wants to hide and crawl into bed because she hates herself. And you think, what the hell? But it is I know so, it's weird. It's, and it that's why a, I'm saying it's like from our culture. You know, yeah. we also think our emotional wellness is our our fault or our problem or our weakness. It is incorporating cultured to have these problems. Not that we can't do anything about it, and we can. So if we understood them, you know, that's why I wrote this book so people could really mm. understand what is happening mm -hmm. and then they could do something about it. But it takes the blame out of you because we blame ourselves so, so much. Mm. And then we get so caught in the blaming ourselves, then we just have no energy to heal ourselves. So if I take that blame off and, and show you the way to go, man, it's life-changing. And, and so I'm, I'm so excited for this book to come out and, and give these messages you know, please, to young people. Please, like please. I wanna save them. I wanna save them from having addictions. I wanna save them from having unhealthy relationships, right? I wanna save them for like two more decades of hardship trying to figure <laughs> out how to get, get, you know, how to like get over themselves or out of their head. If they get this in high school. I know. That's exactly what I'm saying. As far as I'm concerned, every high school person should have four weeks mandatory rehab and uh, just learn everything mm -hmm. that we learn the hard way. And uh, we, we're trying to figure out what this supercomputer can do. No one has the user manual. So you're tapping a few buttons, then get frustrated, have a drink, tap a few more buttons. Oh, that didn't work. Have more drink or smoke Mariana or whatever your crutch in life is. And then 20 years have gone by and your life is in tatters and you still don't know about the supercomputer and then finally you end up in rehab as an alcoholic and you think duh okay now there are all the emotions there it is um you actually pull back the layers of masks that you've put on your face the the pretend and and suddenly the honesty comes out and you think ah that's how it works 
And you think, damn, if I would have had that at 17, maybe I would have not gone through all those stupid, stupid things. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Exactly right. Exactly. So right. yes, because then you have to, you know, if we if we if you medicate any feeling you have, yeah. and then when you go through recovery, and you have to feel those, it's so uncomfortable. Like we have to get used to being uncomfortable, right? <laughs> we have to realize that discomfort doesn't mean vulnerability or danger, mm. right? We we actually, you know, I I say this, and it usually hits people really strongly, is that we have to learn that being vulnerable is not dangerous. Mm. Danger is dangerous, right? Being vulnerable is not dangerous if there's no danger around. And so it's okay for us to feel uncomfortable and not be dangerous, but we're kind of, we think this is not right. I don't want to feel this way. How do I get rid of this feeling? Well, just feel it. Don't judge it. Have compassion for yourself about it and it'll pass through. Um, But we just want to get rid of it so bad that we actually cause it to stay a lot longer, either by medicating. So we have to deal with it later or, or worrying about it or, you know, going into that negative spiral. So it's, um, yeah, it's like, so I think that's another message in this book is like teaching kids how to be uncomfortable, but actually they'll be a lot less uncomfortable if they do the principles in the book, you know? Exactly what I write in in my steps to anxiety, my steps to anxiety, my steps to sobriety, please. (laughs) Although I could have written the other book too. uh, (laughs) They go hand in hand, don't they? I mean, that's why we... Absolutely. To avoid those feelings, those overwhelming Shit, feelings, yeah. that's why we use in uh, the first place. I use the example uh, when it comes to to uh, cravings, or when it comes to to you absolutely needing that drink. Um, it's the same uh, the same technique as, as when it comes to an anxiety attack. You know that this is coming, and it's like you're in the ocean, and you see there's a big wave coming towards you. Now, you might like that wave. You might hate that wave. It doesn't matter. This wave doesn't care. It just keeps coming. So you might as well do something about it. And you can't fight water. You can't find, fight the wave of an emotion washing over you. But what you can do is you can ride it. So you just go flat and you just ride with the water. And that's the only way that you can survive in the ocean. And that's the, that's the way you can survive when it comes to either anxiety or craving. Because you know exactly. that feeling will be gone within a few seconds, a few minutes at most. And if you accept it for what it is, there is this wave of something washing over you. Uh, don't, don't fight it. Because you just say, oh, hello, um, that you, oh, I haven't seen you for a while. Anxiety, cool. And cool, how do you feel? How, uh, okay, that's how it, the tingling, the, uh, oh my God, the fear. Yeah, yeah, okay, I got it. Okay, that's cool. Thank you very much. And now, just wait a bit, wait a bit. Oh, there it is, gone. And if you do that, you don't get that buildup, that bloody spiral of, of now having that negative emotion, that craving or the anxiety and then you have got oh my god i shouldn't feel like that and then the guilt comes and then the embarrassment comes and then you layer and layer and layer and and ultimately that it becomes this huge thing yeah and actually it's exactly what i write about that's so we are so aligned <laughs> no you have it is, to see like this yeah. <laughs> 
like the original problem yeah. and then yeah. all the worry and then all the judgment. Excellent. Oh, beautiful. And so it, it's either it starts out like this little yeah. tiny thing, yeah. which is over. It's a loss. <laughs> it's huge. And it ends up to be all this with all that extra stuff. <laughs> so yeah, true. It's funny. We're so aligned. Uh, it oh, really but, hits people like to see that visual. Yeah. Cause you're like, that's true. It, and that, is, that, that judgment hooks us on it. Oh, isn't it? But, and, but it's hard to do. And it's, it, and what you need to do is you need to actually step out. And sometimes socially that can be quite weird. Uh, you're in the middle of something and something hits you like that. And to, to, it's so important that you develop the insight that you know what is coming and then start developing the skills and the techniques to deal with that. Exactly, if you can, yeah. if you can do the, the breathing exercises, I mean, certainly breathing exercises is a huge thing for me when I get when I get uh, anxiety or when I get overwhelmed. This kind of really taking a deep breath, truly taking a deep breath. Um, it, it nowadays I have mastered it. So one deep breath it works can with complete, practice. Yeah, exactly. It can if you do breathing, reset if you after you do breathing for a while and yeah. you start to breathe, your nervous system knows exactly what you're trying to do and and mm. in like kind of aligns itself faster. Isn't it? So because I've been breathing for 20 years, doing deep breathing practices, that yes, I do. I could do one breath. And my body's like, oh, this is what we're supposed to do now. Do, mm. do, 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 do. And it kind of really eases my whole nervous mm. system. But yeah, I teach like a three-step process. Like when you're in difficulty, when you're struggling or overwhelmed, um, first you have to have that compassion, right? Because the opposite is that is negative self-judgment. We know that hooks you. And if you have compassion right away, that validation helps it, it helps you be able to do the taking the step back. Mm. You know, taking the step back, it's hard to do that at first. Because we're so, we need that validation first, but we could give it to ourselves with compassion. That just means anything that you feel, anything at all, you just say, I get it. I understand why I feel that way. Really, this helps. That's an acknowledgement. Then you take that step back. It could be like psychically, sometimes physically, you need a little distance to think. And I always tell people, ask to use the restroom or, you know, or just say, excuse me, because if you leave somebody, if you're upset and you leave somebody and they know that you're upset, they feel abandoned and now they're like kind of triggered. And so it, it's a little bit harder going back into that conversation because they've been triggered. But if you say, oh, I have to go to the bathroom, they are not, no one's triggered. No one feels abandoned when you go to the bathroom. And so that that works. Um, and then, the, then from that distance, first of all, you get, you're out of the chaos of it, out of the emotions of it, and you have so much more perspective. And then you could decide number three, what to do about it, how to respond. And so I, I really go on much more details in the book, but, mm. but I think it's a, it's a really helpful process that I've kind of honed for 20 years, like talking to people about problems, relationships, everything, like it works. Mm. So true. It's a little time out that gives you time to think. Mm. And it is a very powerful, powerful thing. And if you look at, at the negative things that we do we are essentially not knowing about it we are trying to do exactly that so Get you're validation. in the same the, yeah no i'm thinking now about the little crutches that that people do Ex take an example there is a discussion there and there's you're, you're hitting some points that that person might not like and but he has got a cigarette he might actually just 
take a nice long deep breath of the cigarette whilst he's thinking his brain is going so he took that time out by using mm. a cigarette or having the glass of wine smelling a bit of having a sip mm -hmm. etc same thing he's buying time and why not use the same principle and just say, okay, I need to buy time here. I need to get out of this situation. So instead of using using a crutch, why not say, okay, I need to go to the toilet. And that is such a, <laughs> <laughs> I think, a bit healthier solution, isn't it? <laughs> but, it's great. I mean, you have time to yourself for a moment that's right. and that, that that's nobody right. is triggered or upset by, you know, <laughs> that it's just like... <laughs> That's a, that's just a regular thing that Indeed. people do that. And, and in, I, you know, I work with couples all the time and that's what I say to them too, because if you, because if other, once you have that baggage that you have these triggers that you trigger each other all the time, then <laughs> it's hard to get better, right? It's yeah. hard to stop that. So you really want to see if you could process that before you come to them or before they get triggered. Uh, and it is so helpful. It makes all the difference in the world. So the <laughs> exactly. piece of compassion is important, you know, mm. not not to get sucked in that spiral negative. And I, yeah, I, I am. Um, yeah, people tell me like I explain stuff in this practical way that helps people get it. And so that's um, it's, and that's it's great. Well, exactly, Jody. And that is so beautiful that there are people like you out there who have sort of figured it out and uh, or are at least on the journey to figuring it out. I don't think we will ever figure it out 100%. But you have got 25 years head start compared with most other people out there. So therefore, guys, it might make sense if you find yourself struck, uh, stuck in the same repeating pattern that you don't like, that probably you might wish to do something about it. Remember right. the definition Get of- Get a guide. <laughs> yeah, Get a guide. exactly. The definition of insanity is trying to do the same again and again and again and expecting different outcomes. Yeah, mm, maybe it's time that you actually uh, look for a solution and ask, ask maybe a different question in your life. Not why me, why me, why again, but maybe, okay, um, that has happened. Uh, how do I feel about it? Okay, cool. And then maybe what can I do about it? And then suddenly your brain might come up with something and you might say, huh, I have listened to that podcast and I watched this, this bald dude talking to that woman and she had a book and that book was sort of, Blue, I think I remember. Oh, yeah, it had something to do with anxiety. Yeah, yeah. I, I might, I might actually, huh, huh, okay, go out there, go out there. Just, this is your life. You have got a certain amount of seconds in that life. Now, each and every second, you can make a choice. You can make the choice to say, well, actually, yes, it all hurts, but it's it's all too much. And uh, I just, yeah, okay, you can keep suffering. That's okay. Or you can say, well, actually, it hurts. And I'm, I'm done with it. See, I'm, I'm, I'm even now getting to know you. That's my title. I know. I'm so done with you. I'm so done with you. <laughs> so, anywho, I am done with, with the anxiety. That's absolutely true. So, it is so cool to actually take that step. and. Guys, do it. Do it. This And Jody, to you, I'm actually so grateful that today I was able to spend time with you. 
because I forever, probably for the last 10 years, I have asked myself and others, why do you think that there's so much anxiety, especially in younger people? Why is the, the, the amount of labeling of anxiety disorder one in four young women? Why is there such a huge teen suicide rate? Uh, or why is there so much self-harm? And the people that I talked to couldn't answer that question because these were just normal people with whom I work, with whom I share my experiences, etc. And here, here we are talking to you you actually suddenly made a click in my head that there's so much pressure on kids and that that pressure has has changed and has become maybe this overwhelming set of waves where they just give up. And we can't let that happen, really, because we love these, these little buggers. And so... They're been, so they have so much potential. They're so beautiful. I know, I know, I know. So... you. You literally have changed my life oh. with this with this video, because I will step away from the pattern of my own feelings towards my boys and towards their lack of action, and will rather actually see if I can remodel what we are doing and if I can model the kind of behavior that I want to see from them. Because I think that's the one thing. If if they don't take out the trash and don't wash up, well, let's wash up together. Or let's clean up the garage together. Even if it was their jaw. Maybe by us just coming, showing that inside and being that kind of a parent, you might suddenly find a different behavior. And, you know, if you do certain chores together, there's, of course, that also that opportunity to talk. Yeah, and that's great. Exactly. So maybe high time for some of us who are stuck in the same rut to rethink because you only got one life and you might as well make the most out of it. And, and So guys, go out there, think first, but then buy Jody's book. And, <laughs> uh, and uh, whilst you're there, you might as well go to Amazon and get my book, My Steps to Sobriety. Because that is in there. There are so many gems in there uh, where we explore all these kind of things in the in the more in the setting of you having used alcohol for a long time as a helper, and it's really no longer helping. So yeah, there there might be some solutions in there for many many things. So look at the action plans in there and take it from me you know people who people who are close to me that are on the path to sobriety they are so much happier sober you know at first it's hard but but the, their anxiety goes down um oh. they feel less triggered by people like people that they thought were bullying them their whole life it's it was really clouded by the alcohol in a lot of ways you know and Isn't they got it? defensive and the conflict was Isn't rising and so things change so much they're so <laughs> happy they have so much energy to do stuff like they, so on the other side i mean it seems you know it's, it's often daunting for people but on the other side mm -hmm. oh there's such control and happiness there is it not? You know, there's such it, it's it's really really beautiful <laughs> 
and um, really that like deep learning about yourself and more feeling more connected. That's what we need. We need to feel connected. And so, yeah. So if so you're, true. if you're looking for a sobriety path, get it, get the book, <laughs> do it. I promise <laughs> you'll be so happy that you did. Cool. cool. Jody, thank you so much for your time. It was an absolute pleasure and honor to talk to you today. Thank you for sharing all your insights there. Uh, if people want to get hold of you, if people want to work with you, how could they go about that? Yeah, so my website's jodyamen.com, J-O-D-I-A-M-A-N. And I have tons of online programs. I do work with people privately. And I have, um, I even have tons of blogs for you on there. So lots and lots of resources and all my books you can find there. And I do a live coaching on Facebook every Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern. That's New York time. And um, yeah, so if you need to reach out to me, I'm here for you. Oh, that's brilliant. And guys, look down there in the description of the YouTube video and uh, of the podcast uh, session because uh, the link is in there. So make it easy. Just click on her on, on the link down there. And whilst you're clicking around, you might as well subscribe to that channel here and so that you don't miss a new episode of my podcast or YouTube video. Jody, thank you so much for being my guest. An absolute honor. You guys out there, look after yourselves. Bye.